0: So, what did you guys talk about two weeks ago? Now I got this short Anybody? Hang on. It was Levi. And you guys talked about cookies. Cookies, cookies. Wait. wait. Not no. digital cookies. No, that was me three weeks ago. Didn't you talk about... We are not on Fruits of the Spirit anymore. Talked about cookies and about his mom baked cookies and. Oh, oh, <laughs> was I them sh- in his mouth when he ran behind the door? Wait, was I oh, not here right. to make some of Maybe not. I I you might not have been. Me. I think there was only a few people here. Why was I not here? Yeah, I don't <laughs> Well, what what caused him to eat those cookies even though he was told not to? Um, oh, I came in. Oh in there we go. Temptation. I came in late, that's fine. So you missed the cookie story. Yeah, I only know. Well it's a classic cookie story. We probably all have well maybe you don't all have. But I stole cookies out of the cookie jar when I was little. I'll snag anything, whatever So you guys talked about temptation last week and what what are you dealing with when you're dealing with temptation? Satan. Okay, Satan is um, a factor in that. But he's not required in this equation. He manipulates it sometimes. What do you desire, or sorry, temptation deals with desire, okay, your desire for something. Now, what types of desire are there? Okay, yes, you're right, but I mean on a more base level than that. you were to put them in two categories. Okay. That's good. I was thinking of good and bad desires. And more of a basic level, like really basic level, right? (laughs) But you're right. Um, So how do you know if Good desire or a bad desire. Okay, yes, that's good. We're gonna get to that. How about this? What are you what is a motivation factor for you in life? What motivates you? Like a very like base, um like even scientific or natural motivation. Praise. 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 Okay. What does that give you? Satisfaction. Okay. Anything else? Hungry. Okay. So you're fulfilling something, right? When you eat, you're fulfilling your desire for food. All those things that you guys listed, those are things that are pleasurable to you, right? You like to receive play, praise that makes you feel good. In fact, some people operate on, um, uh, like what's called sometimes words of affirmation. People telling them that they're doing a good job, like that's one of their biggest motivator factors because that gives them pleasure. Or, Gideon said at a very base level, mmm, cookie tastes good," right? <laughs> I mean, that's a huge... Mo- I mean, how much of your day is driven by, ooh, we get to eat this now. Or, I can't wait until dinner. I can't wait until ice cream snack at night. I mean, to a certain degree, right? And, and it gets increasingly more so the longer you wait. It's just a rule of life. So, there are... This life is filled with pleasures and all different kinds And it is that way because God made it that way. He wanted you to have things to enjoy in your life. Now, um, do you guys know who Ravi Zacharias is? Some of you do. He died earlier this year. um, But he, a really famous preacher, and we've talked about him before. But he talks about the, he talked, one of the topics besides just, um, spreading the gospel that he would talk about a lot, was he would talk about pleasure and really dig down on what um, the aspects of it were and how it related to your spiritual life. And he said there are two types of pleasure. There is a pleasure that costs you before you get the pleasure, that it costs something to get it, and there is a pleasure that costs you after you have that thing that you enjoy. So, you think about something like food, when do you have to, when does that cost you? Okay, you have to pay for it, or how's another way that it costs you? Okay, yes, that's true as well. Let's talk about the before first. Well, how else does it cost you? Or what's another way? What? Okay, somebody had to make it, right? So that's a cost. That's why it costs you to buy food at McDonald's because somebody works at McDonald's making the food and somebody works at the factory making that food that they send to McDonald's. It's true. Or it costs your mother or your father all that time you put those ingredients together to make you something delicious, more delicious than McDonald's, probably. You might not think that now, but one day you will think it is much more delicious. <laughs> but it, all the, and to get those ingredients, let's just take bread for an example. What do you need for bread? Okay. What did you say? Water. Water, okay. Yes, we said yeast, flour. flour. Okay, so Audrey's going one step further back from that wheat. What does it take to get wheat?
1: Um, Are the kernels
0: of wheat? wheat? The plant so somebody had to plant that someone had to take time to make sure it was watered make sure that it uh, weeds didn't grow up they had to spray whatever uh, herbicide on it pesticides all that kind of stuff to make sure it grew for you there's a lot of effort that goes into that for you to get that pleasure now Abby talked about a different aspect where you could even flip that pleasure around. What was that aspect? If you eat too much. Okay, so what does that cost you then? Your stomach hurts. Okay, that would be an immediate cost. a lot of weight. Okay, yeah. It would cost you to clothes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> These are things that can be true. Alright, so the... That's, this, is a, a, this is an easy example to use, but I think you can then think of other things where if you say, I just want to do that because I want to do it now, that it can have consequences in the future for you, or you're going to have to pay for it in mm-hmm. some way. Now, what does that, those definitions tell you then about pleasure, about Categorizing it. Do you think which do you think might be a good pleasure? Of those two, the one that costs you before and the one that costs you later. The one that costs you before. One, um, just at a very root level, when you put in effort and then you are rewarded afterwards, you feel good about that. When you work a really hard long day and then you get to rest, that's a lot better than procrastinating all day long and then having to work really hard and do a garbage job on something that you know it's garbage. How good do you feel about that then? Not so good, right? I mean, you can pretend like you feel good about it, or you might get an immediate satisfaction when you're like, hey, I made the deadline anyways. But in reality, that's going to eat away at you after some time. Um, Another famous guy, just because I feel like I should credit people that say things, not that you know who it is, but G.K. Chesterton, who was an author, he actually influenced C.S. Lewis a lot. So that's a little tie-in for you. He said that meaningless does not come from being weary of pain. He said instead, meaninglessness comes from weariness of pleasure. about that for a minute? Meaninglessness in your life, feeling meaninglessness, does not come from being weary of pain in your life. It's not from the pain, but it's from in excess of pleasure. Pleasure just for pleasure's sake. that That's all that you're after constantly. After a while, you will grow weary of it, and you will have meaninglessness then in your life. So that goes back to the pleasure that if it costs you first before you get it, then You're going to feel like you earned that, like you, like you have purpose in your life. Now you're probably wondering why we're talking about all this stuff when it comes to temptation. Well, we're going to get to that in a bit because I want to touch on one more thing that you guys talked about last time about temptation relates to each one of you because each of you are different. How does temptation relate to you in the fact that you're all different? Yeah. Everyone has different things that tempt them. And for, just for some examples I was trying to think of, ones that might be good to bring up, let's say that you have or you know somebody who has a magnetic personality, someone that you just like to be around whoever they are or they are very popular, everyone wants to be around them, okay, what temptations could that person have? Because that's not a bad trait, right? Not inherently bad. What could make it bad? What could taint it? Mallory. Okay, how, how would you see them being selfish in that way with that trait? Very manipulative with it. Just kind of not put any value on the people that are following you. Okay? Um, let's talk. How about somebody who is extremely passionate about things? They always do things intensely, they're intense about everything that they do. Whatever it is, they're all in. How could that? What kind of temptations might they deal with? What could taint that character trait that they have? What do you think, Gabe? If someone's extremely passionate about stuff, they're intense. We'll go along that line. What do you mean by too perfect? Like trying to at everything that is lost for us. Okay, so um, letting having that be their only focal point, whatever they're passionate about. Okay. That could be bad, right? Because there are there's like a hierarchy for what is important in your life, right? What holds the highest value, starting with God at the top, and then there's it changes at different points in your life, but usually family, whether, is in there at some point, and some people put all sorts of stuff ahead of and put it in a in a wrong order. Okay, so um, how about this? What if you are a planner and a cautious person? think about things a lot before you do it. You figure out every aspect of it before you take action. Okay, yes, that's a good one. Being very anxious and anxious, a worry person. What else? Okay. So you might be hurting your relationship with someone because you're focused on whatever other thing um, that you're planning about. How about this, Um, that you use it as an excuse to keep kicking that task down the road that you're planning on doing because it's not perfect yet. You just say... Well, I haven't got everything in line yet. I'm going to do that eventually, but I'm still working on it. That could be a thing, too. So these are, I purposely picked out ones that are not, that you have to think about a little bit. Ones that aren't obvious. I'm sure you could all think of something that's an obvious thing that um, that is a temptation that is a classic one, right? And we'll look at some of those tonight. So... Tonight we are going to look at temptation and tools you can use to overcome it. Because that's ultimate life. Ultimately what you want to do, you want to be able to overcome those temptations, to not give in to them because, um, well, giving in to them is not good for you. It is. What did we talk about with the fruits of the spirit? What are the two sides of you? Somebody mentioned them already tonight. The flesh and the the spirit, right? And there was that whole list of things that were of the flesh that Paul talked about. There was, um, there was like murdering. There was um, being—it wasn't this word, but being contentious with other people. There was. Um, lusts of the flesh, witchcraft. There is there's a whole list of variety of things that were of the flesh. So, um, if temptation then is uh, a de- the two things that we kind of talked about here is it's desire, and if it's bad. It's outside of God's will. And then there's another thing that we said that we just talked about is that it's it's personal. You're the only one that deals with that temptation. It's not something there are other people that um, that you can confide in about it that you that could help you with it. But in the end, it is the, it is between you and God that temptation that you have. It's a very personal thing. So, um, what's another word that you would use, though, for if something is outside of God's will? If you're doing something outside of God's will. It's one word. It starts with an R. Rebellion, Rebellion yes. And, um, can you carry it? Yes. So, do you remember mm, Sorry, I'm looking for a reference to that. We'll talk about rebellion a little bit later. So, um, if you're going to overcome this temptation that you have, let's think of it because this is, the Bible uses this many times when you're fighting against the flesh, when you're fighting against um, against Satan, who is trying to get you to fail and give into the flesh. Oftentimes they use the metaphor of you're in battle, that you are against an enemy. And if you want to defeat and fight against an enemy, what's the first thing that you're going to need? What do you need? Think of just regular battle, classic medieval battle. What do you need? What'd you say? Armor? Armor? Okay, yes. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament. And you guys remember when we did Pilgrim's Progress and he went to the house beautiful on his journey? And he met the women of the house. Prudence, discretion. Um, hmm, I don't remember the other names. But he met those women there and they gave him something before he left. What did they give him? Chapter 6. The armor, right? Because he was about to come across Apollyon or he was about to go into the valley of the shadow of death and the valley of humiliation where they knew he was going to come across temptations, and specifically temptations that Satan was going to use against him. So this, that part of that story was directly referring to Ephesians 6, verses 12 through 18. Let's go ahead and read those. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and righteousness. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in that evil day, and having done all to stand. And therefore, having your skirt you about the truth, and having um, the breastplate of righteousness. And with the righteousness, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all sins. Okay. So, Paul is telling us that if you're going to fight. And and you want your spirit to win the battle, be on God's side and win against evil, Satan. What do you need? The the armor of God, right? And uh, what are some of those things? Okay, so we have righteousness. We have truth. What else, faith, okay, peace, sword of the spirit, which is it is a double edged sword, right? It is the Bible, right? That is what it is. And do you notice anything that we talked a lot about? Besides the Bible, because we always talk about that, you know. I don't think we said that one, but yes, that's very important. But what we've just been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. Right. We, and we've got some of those in here. We've got peace. We've got faith. We've got um, righteousness or goodness. There's a whole bunch of them in there that are important to have with you. So, what do you notice about these tools that you're given? Helmet, shield, breastplate. What are most of them for? Protection, or if we're talking about strategy, what part of the strategy is that? Defense, right? Everything but one of them is for defense. Interesting, right? And there is only one offensive thing that you are given. So that kind of shows you, kind of gives you an idea of how little power you yourself possess. Possess that you are relying on, because all these things come from the Holy Spirit, right? A whole bunch of these are fruits of the Spirit, that you, you are relying on God. And then, of course, the Word of God, that's the Bible. The only way you have that is through spending time in it where it's in your mind. So, if you're now prepared, you have all these things, what's next if you're going into battle? What do you need going up against the enemy? That's good. I like that. If you're, but you're, you've got the skill. You're ready, and you're gonna go meet them in battle. What's important then? maybe knowing where they are, knowing who they are, right? Because if you're, let's think about this even as, as a level, if you are the general and you're figuring out the battle, are you just going to wander around saying, oh, I hope we run into the enemy. I don't even know what he looks like. I hope we. I hope he tells us he's our enemy. you got to have knowledge about who the enemy is. You need to know what their enemy, uh, SOP is their standard standard operating procedure. How they are going to attack you, what their types of defenses they have, what their offense is, how fast they move, where they are, um, all these kinds of things you need to know. So the same thing is for us with temptation: is you have to have knowledge about what you are resisting. Um, How do you know if something is a temptation or not? How do you know if it's a good pleasure or a bad pleasure? Or a good thing for you, something that's in God's will or is not in God's will? Okay, I like that. What tells you to feel bad about it? Okay. What's that come from? Okay, yes. That's true, right? Some things you have to be taught, right? That you don't know. Your parents need to teach you. Your Sunday school teachers have to teach you. The Bible, you learn it from the Bible. But Audrey said something that we're all born with. Your conscience, right? And that's that thing that... Part of that thing that uh, Gabe talked about is that it is that thing that pricks you and says, you shouldn't have done that. That was not a good idea. And and we've talked about this quite a bit before, um, but just for a refresher, refresher, what can you do to your conscience that you don't want to do? You can suppress it. And what's the image the Bible used for when you suppress it? What do you do to it? It's what do you do to a steak? When you grill it. What do you do to it? Oh, you, you sear it. You ever sear your finger before? No. No one's ever burned their yeah. finger? Oh, that's just a thing, yeah. Yeah. Could you feel very well after you burnt? You're, I mean, it hurt, right? But have you ever had where like, you have that hard like, skin afterwards, and you're like, I can't really feel that as well as I used to be able to? Yeah, you can't taste very good with your tongue, right? Well, that's the same thing with your conscience, is if you say, I'm just going to ignore you. I'm going to go blinders on and do it because I want to do it, even though I know it's wrong. Your conscience, voice is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Don't, don't want to re- sit on this for a long time, but just so you know, when you constantly say, I'm going to ignore that conscience, it's voice gets smaller and smaller. Okay, so I got a, one of the three stories we're going to look at from the Bible about this, about temptation and how to deal with it, is Achan. Anybody ever heard of Achan? No? This is a good one. Joshua. Going to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Now, this is after Moses. The Israelites have come into the promised land. Joshua chapter 8. Um, everybody knows about the walls of Jericho, right? I'm sure you all know that story, how God just had the walls fall down, and they were able to run right into the city and destroy um the people there the enemy that was there against them now the city of jericho there is still like a city there is many cities of jericho throughout all of history because it's in a good spot where it's located it's like right near the sea right near the jordan river it controlled a key point of land So it was a super wealthy. They took in money, said, hey, you got paid to pass through here every time somebody passed by them. And God gave them specific instructions when the Israelites were to go in after the walls fell down of Jericho. He said, you are to take all the gold, the silver, all the wealth, and that goes to the temple. That doesn't go to you. You're not to keep any of that gold or silver that all goes to the temple. Well, there's this one guy named Achan. I think he might have been of the tribe of Benjamin, maybe. But anyways, not important. He when when he was walking around in there, he saw some really a really nice fancy piece of like silk robe it was all embroidered and stuff and then he saw some gold a little silver some nice stuff and he was like nobody's looking i got separated and he takes some of that and he takes it back and they were all living in tents because they're still nomadic at this time they just came out of the desert so they all have tents and he digs a hole underneath his tent and puts Uh, carpet or rug whatever in their tent or the bottom of their tent back over that and he hides that stuff in there. Well what happens is then Joshua God tells them the next city to go and take the next um, little uh, city state that they're going to attack and take and Joshua sends um, a little group of them because God has been on their side and they lose and Joshua is What's happening, God? You said you were going to help us. He's like, there's a problem. Somebody took stuff that I told them not to take, and you need to find out who it was. So what Joshua does then is he says, all right, I want all the tribe of Benjamin come forward and... God says, nope, not them. And then then he says, Tribe of Asher, come forward. Sorry, I don't remember what tribe it was. But um, whatever tribe it was in the end, then he says, Oh, God says, Yep, it's that tribe. And then he says, Okay, I want each of the the family groups to come forward. And God says, That family group. Yeah, and all this time, can you imagine if you're Achan? He has a lot of opportunities to say, Okay, okay, stop. It was me. Finally gets down and he says, Alright, family of Achan. And God says, Yep, that's it. And this is what Achan says when he's finally found out. In verse, Joshua chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. And then the of... and then... Oh, I'm sorry. It it's chapter me. seven. That's I'm sorry. I was, I was That's my it. bad. Sorry. Seven verse twenty and twenty-one. And Achan answered Joshua and said, "Indeed, I have signed against the Lord of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoil a goodly baby Babylonish garment." Babylonish. Babylonish garment and two hundred. Shekels, 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 of silver, and the wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight. Then I c- co- coveted, coveted. Then took that, and behold, they are hid in the earth, in the midst, midst of my tent, and the silver so Okay, so Joshua says, all right, guy sends a bunch of guys to go dig it up and bring it there. They find that it's there, and God tells Judge Joshua, this is what needs to happen. And they take all him and all of his family, like his wife and his children, and all of the people of Israel stone them to death. They throw stones on them, at them, until they are knocked out or are dead, and then they keep throwing stones on them until there's a great pile of stones over the top of them. Now, that probably sounds like really harsh, right? That's the kind of stuff where people are like, that's the kind of God that you believe in. It's like, yeah, but God told them before they went in, do not take any of that stuff for yourself. You're supposed to take it and give it to the temple because all that stuff is going to belong to the temple. And this, so this wasn't even, Aiken didn't even need his conscience to tell him not to do that. I'm sure it was like sounding the alarm the entire time, but he knew from the very first moment that he stepped into that room or what half destroyed building and saw that stuff that that was not for him to keep. So, What do we always do when we are doing something wrong, especially when we know it's wrong and we decide to do it anyways? Almost always. Yeah, you try to hide it. I mean, aching it in like the most simple way, like I'm gonna bury it, but there's lots of ways where we try to hide things. Sometimes you do something wrong and you try to make light of it. Like you try to make it ah, ha, ha, ha. That was, you know, it was just to be funny or uh, you try to laugh it off or you try to make it like it's no big deal sometimes. Sometimes you directly you do it whatever it is where you think no one else can see it or no one else does see it except for God. And if your conscience isn't loud enough for you, but you're still trying to self-evaluate, anytime you're not sure if something is wrong or not, that's usually a pretty good litmus test if you would be embarrassed about it, if people do. It's a good thing to test. And that's at that point where you, if you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this, where to be sure, you can go to the Bible to look for it. Try to find it out. And if that is still not clear, that's where you have to go. And you have to go in prayer to God. To talk to him about it. Because he'll fix your conscience for you if you ask him to. So, um, here's the problem. Knowledge is not enough. Because Achan, right, he knew what was wrong. He knew that he was tempted by it, but he still did it, and he stuck by it. He didn't allow himself to be found out. And because um, <clears throat> you can, in the end, you can know all about your, your specific personal temptation. You can say, oh, yeah, I know that I struggle with that. I know that I keep doing it. And you can know what you should do to stop it. You know know all about it, you know even techniques that have worked before for you to stop it, but still you allow it to take control of you sometimes. Because in the end, even with all that knowledge of it, you say, nah, I'm just gonna do it. And I mean, I'll tell you, I've done that before probably have all done that before, where you felt your conscience pricking you about something, and you said, I'm just going to do it anyways, because I feel like it. Because it's going to give me pleasure now. But like we said before, if that pleasure costs you later, it probably wasn't a good thing. So, another one, or if you're What's um, super dangerous about that when you say, I'm going to do it anyways? I'm going to do the opposite of what God said. That's really dangerous. What would you call that if you're doing the opposite of what God said? Hmm? Yeah. Rebellion, right? Back to rebellion. Going to do the opposite. Anybody know what the Bible compares rebellion to? it's okay cuz i got a verse 1 Samuel 15:23 I wish we could have had time to go into this story cuz this is a really powerful story too um, but essentially king Saul not the not the before apostle Paul Saul but this is king Saul in the Old Testament 1 Samuel chapter 15 He was told to go and destroy this nation by God and Samuel the prophet, and he didn't do it. He killed everybody but a few people. In fact, you should know this because yes, he was an the Agagites came later. This is where Saul did not kill that person again because I don't know. I don't even know. It doesn't really explain fully why he did what he did, but. And then he he didn't him. want to do what he was supposed to do. wanted the Jews. Yeah. So, what was the cost later for that temporary, whatever fulfillment of what he wanted in the moment? The Jews. Okay. So this is, and this is what God says, or Samuel says, who's God's prophet, about rebellion in chapter fifteen, verse twenty-three. Rebellion is the same as witchcraft and the same as idolatry or worshiping something other than God. It's pretty strong words, right? For rebellion. So, here's the really hard thing then. Because that sounds like, wow, this is impossible. How can I ever not rebel against God? Because I'm... I'm, infa- I'm fallible. I'm not infallible I always make mistakes how in the world are you going to defeat your temptations? well, in battle you want to know everything about your enemy but in the end does that do anything for you if you never attack them? if you ever take action you could have all the intel in the world you could say i know the enemies in this building they're in this town i know that there's a there's a moat around it and we're and we could bring this and that and that and we can have the archers here and all these plans and we're going to do a scissor attack or a pincer attack on it and all this stuff but if you never actually do it who cares you can know everything But take no action and it does nothing. So you have to take action. You have to make steps towards it. And there's no shortcut. That's the hardest thing about dealing with temptation and dealing with something that's reoccurring like that, is that there's no shortcut, there's no magic pill. And that's especially hard for us today because everything is like instant, okay? Oh, we don't have, I'll just buy it on Amazon. We'll have it in two days. Or, uh, I don't feel very good. There's got, yeah, the doctor will have some pill and I'll feel better. Or whatever it is, everything is instant, right? Right away, I'll just buy something or I'll just get this thing and it'll solve all my problems. I don't have to put any effort in Well, that doesn't work with spiritual things. That doesn't work with dealing with our own nature it takes effort and um, so what do you think it takes if you want to, to actually take action and fight against your temptations what do you have to have what do you have to possess in your being to do that You want to do something really hard, because I'm not gonna lie that it, it is hard. What do you need? That's good. Willpower, that's exactly what I got here. And I don't I don't know, I feel like I heard that all the time talked about willpower when I was a kid. Do you guys does anybody talk about willpower anymore? No, probably not, right? Because it's too hard. So you gotta have willpower. And Um, so you do need knowledge but you also I'm going to have to get down on my knees to write on the board you got to have willpower how many of you say that you need willpower? man you say you don't need willpower wow well, you guys are pretty unanimous all vote is one well you're half right and half wrong okay yes you do need God and we're, we'll get to more of that but I want to focus a little bit because let's think about this Then, what is your will Your want to do something, okay? What else? What other words would you use for it? Let's define it some more. Your will to do something. Motivation, Motivation, that's good. Determination. Determination, yes. How about drive? Drive to do something. A desire to do something. You got to have like you can't just say i'm gonna make myself do this you got to have like a purpose behind it right it's not enough to just say i'm gonna do this you've got to have like a why behind it so who else do we hear or what else do we hear will talked about and when else do you hear that word a lot The will of God, right? So you have your will. You have your will. God's will. Okay? And God's will is always has to do with the good desire. It can't it can't. I mean by definition. Because God is good. It's always going to be the good desire. The question is, is where do you let end up? Which side of that desire are you going to land on? Are you going to align your will with God's will? And in order to, that, to do that, you have to submit to him. You have to submit your will to his. Um, and... That's going to require you to battle against your flesh. You're going to have to go against your natural flow. Because your natural flow is just to do whatever your flesh says. It says, ooh, I feel like eating ice cream right now. I'm going to eat ice cream right now. Or I feel like watching TV. Ah, I watched one episode. I'll watch another episode. I'll watch another episode. Because it just automatically plays the next one. I'll watch another episode. Oh, I did have to do that homework. You know what? I can do it on the bus tomorrow. I'll watch another episode. It is so easy to just go with what your flesh says. And I, I use that. Not that that's not a real example that I'm sure all of us, I know I, even I struggle with that sometimes with shirking responsibility when you know you've got to do it. But that's just one example, an easy example. There are tons of other things in your life where you can just say, I'm just going to give in and do it because it's easier to give in and do it. And um, It's even harder when everybody else around you does that. They just give in to... The, just the way of the flesh. So, another one. Um, <clears throat> we're not going to go and read it because we're running out of time here. But everybody know the story of Joseph? I, I'm sure you all do. So even our new people. I know you did it with Sarah. So you know the story of Joseph. And you remember that he becomes, after he's sold into slavery, he becomes like the number one guy in Potiphar's house. Potiphar says, I don't even have to worry about everyone doing the work in the fields and taking care of the livestock and the horses and cleaning the house because Joseph takes care of it all. He's got it. He's even doing stuff that I never even thought to do and it runs better than I ever wanted it to. And, except for there's one problem that one day Potiphar's wife Kind of interested in Joseph. She wants him to lie with her. And first, Joseph is like, No, can't do that. I wanted to be betraying Potiphar, who I'm loyal to, but two, God says not to do that. He specifically, it's right there in the Bible, that Joseph says, God says not to do that. And that's, if you, when you verbalize things, or you make them clear to other people that you are following God, it's kind of like we talked about with the fruits of the Spirit, creating like a racetrack in your mind of like doing the same thing and you'll run in that track. When you verbalize things or you act on things instead of just thinking about them, it helps a lot. But it can be bad in the other direction. So Joseph does that doesn't take action, but then she keeps pressing him. In the end, what is Joseph's only choice to not to succumb to temptation? What does he have to do? He runs. Sometimes that is one of your best uh, ways to overcome a temptation is to... Get away from it. Make it so you're not in that situation. Whatever it is, whether it's you say, I'm not going to be around those people because they're causing me to have that temptation. Or I'm going to get rid of this thing or whatever it is because it's always there and it's constantly, I give in too many times, I got to get rid of it. Whatever it is, sometimes the thing is just, I got to get it away from me. Um, Now, there are going to be times where you can't get away from that temptation. There are things where it's always going to be around you, whatever it is. And you're going to say, well, if that's the case, I'm just always going to succumb to it because I'm too weak. I can't not succumb to it. Well, what do you have then? Because we've really talked about a lot of defensive stuff. What do you have for the offense? You have the Bible, right? Okay. What else do you have? There was one other thing in there. You might not remember, but it was all prayer. You can pray. Those are the two things that you have where you actually take action, where you can do something about it. And you guys remember Sunday's sermon? What it, what verses we looked at? What book we were in? Philippians. Philippians yep. Famous verse talks about getting strength from God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Well, Christ is. It's in the book of John, the first chapter. What is he? In the beginning was. Yes, you're thinking Genesis. But John talks about Genesis that Jesus is the Word, okay? That's what the whole Bible is about. So that's what's going to strengthen you in the end. And um, remember a few weeks ago when we talked, um, I think Gideon talked about, we talked about self-control, right? As one of the fruits of the spirit. Do you remember what Bible story or that we looked at? I know it's a while ago we looked at Matthew chapter 4 and we looked at Jesus when he was tempted himself. And I want you to turn there. Does anyone have Bible with the red words in it? Yeah, Jesus' words are red. Oh, does it? Alright, can you go to Matthew chapter 4 real quick? Um, Hold on, let me get there. Because I did not write that down, I should have. It's just the first part of Matthew chapter four, the first half of it. Uh, Do you want me to read only the verse? Yeah, in verse four, seven, and ten. You don't actually. You don't have to read it, but it's to point out that those—that's what Jesus said—was those four things. And the only time he spoke during the entire time that he was tempted by Satan. He was very specific in what he said. He didn't add anything else. And if you look at those red words, some of you might, maybe Sierra does, has a note by those red words that, of where you can find those words. What? Is, where can you find those words? Where else in the Bible? Okay. Yep and the actually the one that is psalms is both in Deuteronomy and psalms and if you were if you go to each of those places you'll see those exact same words that were that Moses wrote down so what is Jesus doing to fight against satan bringing these temptations against him He's saying only what's in the Bible. He's going straight to the Bible. This is Jesus. And he goes to the Bible to say, this is, no, you said I should just make this food because I'm hungry now. No, that would be wrong because people would worship me instead, and I wouldn't have the chance to die for the sins of the world. He says, I'm not going to give in to that because... It says in Deuteronomy that um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is, God is going to take care of my needs. And each time Satan tempts him, he goes to a promise that God has given him, or a law that he says, I can't break that law because God put it in there. I am accountable to him. And finally after those 40 days because Satan comes when you are the weakest remember that because he was fasting for 40 days after that um, God sends angels to Jesus to bring him food and water to drink because he relied on those promises and ministered unto him I don't know what What all that entailed, but ministering usually means like caring for someone, whether they were taking care of, I don't know, sores on his feet or blisters from being out in the desert or giving him words of encouragement, whatever it might be, but that Jesus relied on God and God followed through on those promises. And one other note is that Jesus, the whole time leading up to that, was spending time in prayer before he was tempted. If you go through and look at the Gospels, Jesus is always praying. When he's not out there doing God's, his, God's mission for him on earth, he is spending time praying. He's up in a mountain by himself praying. He's in a boat praying by himself. He's um, just trying to get a moment where he can pray. So these are the things that you can find that will help you with temptation. It's not easy. You will fail. But God promises that if you lean on him, if you rely on him, that he will give you strength. That he will get you through those things and help you with them. So, it's not just your will alone. You can't do it on your own. But you can't expect that God is just going to never have you have any temptations either. You have to be willing to, to put in the effort with his help. Because Jesus said, come to me because my burden is light. I will help you carry the burden. Alright, that's it for tonight. Thank you guys.